0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Man, all this talk of fire and all- feeling drippy today, so I, I'm going to start sweating during this homily. So I'm, I'm prepared this time. I'm prepared. Oh my gosh. Friends, it's so good to be together. It's so good to see. It's just packed church. This is great. I love it. So welcome to anybody who's visiting. Welcome to anybody who's kind of back for the first time in a long time. And yeah, it's... And I'm not going to lie. It's really, really, really awesome and weird to see many more faces. I have been suspicious all along. I've been thinking... I do think we probably have the best looking parishioners, but it's, it's good to know that I was, I was right all along. Look at you. All right. So, so welcome to Pentecost. So, what I want to do for this homily, I want to zoom out, take a big, you know, 35,000 foot view. I want to zoom out in order for us to kind of gain the perspective needed to kind of look at this feast in the way and kind of share what I want to share about it. So, all right. Gonna hang with me. We're gonna, we're gonna dive in deep. So, the church our Blessed Mother Church, the church throughout history has basically operated in two fundamental modes of existence throughout church history. I know historians would say that's way too simplistic, but broad brushstrokes are sometimes helpful, and they are today. So these two fundamental modes that the church exists in are what we're going to call the apostolic mode, and the other mode is the Christendom mode. So apostolic on the one hand and Christendom on the other hand. So Christianity arose historically at a time when the prevailing culture and worldview was, was Hellenistic. So think of the Greco Roman world. And in that worldview, it was a, it was a Hellenistic, polytheistic, pagan worldview. And in this apostolic mode of the church from the very beginning, the church is swimming, if you will, upstream and against the current, upstream and against the current, against the, every, every current that you could think of. The political currents, sociological currents, religious currents—all of the ways in which we humans organize our society—the church is proposing the gospel into this this milieu, this cultural milieu that's totally foreign to the gospel worldview. So the church is proposing the gospel into this worldview, and those who convert do so to great cost to themselves and to great peril. Right? There's a lot of martyrdom. There's a lot of shed blood. And they're running fast and lean, moving on the power of witness and the power of the Holy Spirit. So then what happens, Christianity, once the church has been more or less successful in this mission, sowing the gospel into every nook and corner and cranny of creation, the gospel vision, the Christian way of viewing the world begins to take root in every social and societal institution, if you will. So the gospel way of viewing reality, viewing the world, begins to permeate. All the structures and institutions of society, whether that's family or law or business or music, literature, art, architecture, all of them become Christianized, if you will. So the prevailing worldview is one where the Christian narrative is operative. The Christian narrative is operative. And then the goal of that mode, if you will, this is beginning around the 4th, 5th century. The mode is really then kind of expand and maintain. And both of these modes of being have advantages and disadvantages, right? Right. So here's the question. Where are we now in the church? Where are we now? What era are we in now? In a word, Christendom is over. Christendom is over. It's gone, at least in much of the West. Our culture has so quickly and radically shifted and transformed from being one in which the prevailing worldview is a Christian one to becoming one that's utterly progressive and like neo-pagan and post-Christian. This is the first post-Christian society that has ever been. You still with me? This is a lot for 1030. You with me? Okay. All right. This is the world in in which we live. And the church, this is the problem. The church so rapidly, right? The culture is so rapidly shifted from a Christendom mode to an apostolic mode. And the church, those who are in leadership, both bishops all the way up, cardinals, all of them, have been formed in a Christendom church and we're living in an apostolic age. You with me? Christendom church in an apostolic age. So like all of the mayhem, all of the insanity, all of the craziness you're seeing around you when you turn on the news, when you scroll through social media, all of that stuff, when you're scratching your head and thinking like, what in the world is actually happening to our world? What is happening to our culture? All of these things that seem so stable and foundational Presuppositions, ideas, ways of viewing reality that seem so given are all being challenged, like, and deconstructed, attacked, undermined, swept aside, and moved on, right? There's this deconstructing of the ways of all the structures, which means that the church, like, the way that the church carries out her mission of evangelizing, of proclaiming the gospel, of forming disciples, the way that the church feeds the faithful, Connects people to the sacraments. The way we do all of that has to adapt. It has to adapt. In this apostolic era in which we're in, it is simply not enough to do what we've always done. It's simply not enough to do what we've always done because we are paddling upstream. You're in a canoe and you're drifting downstream. You can put your oar in once and then you're good for like 10 more minutes. You're still drifting downstream, but you want to go upstream. Every stroke counts takes great effort to move upstream. That's what we're doing. We are proposing something that's upstream. We have to be way more intentional and honestly, way more dependent on the spirit, which scares us because that means change. That means change. I don't know if we're all ready to admit it, but I think there's deep places in many of our hearts where we want safe and predictable and domesticated Christianity. This is what I think a lot of our hearts want, a Christendom Christianity. We want a Christianity that fits into our family schedules, into our routines, a respectable Christianity. And we want a God who doesn't interrupt, a God who doesn't butt in, a God who doesn't have the audacity to have plans for us that are maybe contrary to the plans we have for ourselves. We want a God who more or less is just like there, who leaves us alone. We want a God who's like that majestic grandfather clock in the foyer of a nice house. He's there, he's impressive, he's keeping regular time, he's doing his job, and every once in a while, at predictable intervals, I'll hear from him, but I'm not really summoned to do anything. That's, I think, how a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters want our God to be. But here's the thing, God who is an all-consuming fire, a God who is this driving wind, is a God who wants to change and consume me. A God who is fire and wind is not a God that I can keep safely at a distance. He wants to change me, move me, move in me, right? And by the way, way, like that is the only God that there is. The God who is fire and wind, who wants to change and consume, who makes a total claim on me, that's the only God that there is. And the reality is that's scary. That is scary. Like when I look at the church of the New Testament, when I read the Acts of the Apostles, when I read what happened here at Pentecost, When I look at Jesus's disciples, they were so radically spirit dependent that if God were to have withdrawn the spirit from the early church, like nearly all of their ministry, all of their activity, everything that they were doing, nearly everything would come to a screeching halt. But if you play it out, play it out, you know, in the reverse, that if God were to withdraw, I think the spirit from the church of today, I think 95% of what we do would go on as normal and nobody would notice. And that's a problem. That is a huge problem. Because the church, I want to share this image with, with you that the Lord shared with me over the week. The church is a sailboat, not a rowboat. I'm going to say that again. The church is a sailboat. She's not a rowboat. But the problem is, I think, by and large, we have folded up the sails. We've put, put out the oars because, like, this way we're in control. And we can decide where to go and how to move. We like having our ministries. We like having our strategic plans, our methods our ways of doing things, neat and tidy Catholic Christianity. And please don't think for a second that I'm just simply up here on this Pentecost Sunday, like, excoriating the hierarchy. (laughs) I mean, I am, but it gets gets worse. Because this is about us too. This is about us too. Like, us, especially, like, those of us who have been called to live vocations of matrimony, priesthood, diaconate, like, these vocations that the Lord has given us, they are not rowboat vocations. They are Holy Spirit. They are sailboat vocations. The only way to live Christianity is as a sailboat. I don't know if you're with me on that image, but that was the image that the Lord rocked me with this week. I'm like, I hope they get it, Lord, because that's all I got. But like this image of the sailboat, our vocations, the way we live our lives as priests, the way you live your lives as married people, the way we live our lives as Christians, the only fuel to do this, the Christian life is wind-powered, y'all. It's not anything else. That's the only way to do this, spirit-fueled. And I felt the Lord saying to me over this week, convicting me deeply i heard him saying you have so domesticated me you have so limited me you have so reduced my power like one of the things i thought about in the actual greek in this first reading the acts of the apostles where it says tongues as a fire descended upon their heads we think of the, these little flames, these little flickering flames coming down, resting upon their heads, like the apostles became like living birthday candles, right? And when you look at our arts, right, we look at our art and iconography, and we usually see these little flames above their heads. The actual word in Greek is something, okay, they didn't have flamethrowers in the ancient world, but think of something like a flamethrower, okay? Does that seem safe? Does that seem like... Do you think they would have just been like, oh, that's nice, thicker candle flame above my head. They were consumed with a fire. They were consumed with a fire. And the Lord is saying, we've domesticated the spirit. I was dreaming with the Lord this week and praying about like, Lord, what what would our parish look like if we started collectively saying, not just me, not just Deacon, not just Father Joe, not just Deacon Rich, but if every person in this parish got more routinely in the habit, collectively saying, come Holy Spirit and mean it. What would happen if this parish started breathing, come Holy Spirit, and we meant it? Because you see, I feel like when we say those words, I feel like most often we say come Holy Spirit, but this is the other image Lord gave me. It's like we're sailors sitting on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, begging for a breeze. There's been no wind for days. And we're saying, God, give us a breeze. And we haven't even put up the sails. Yeah, God, give us a breeze. And he's going, hey, dum-dums, put up the sails put up the sails. You can talk all you want. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Who cares unless you've put up the rigging, unless you've rigged the sails, unless they're up and hung. We're saying it, but I don't think we really mean it because if we really meant it, if I really meant it, if we really meant it, it means that we're saying, God, we're willing for you to change us. We're willing to let you move us in different directions. We're willing to let you lead this parish. We're willing to let you lead our marriage and our family. We're willing to let you set the priorities and the agenda. We're willing to let go of old methods and step out boldly in new directions and do things that have never been done before. You see, like at the very heart of Pentecost and at the heart of like the church's renewal in this apostolic era, it was and it's going to be disciples of Jesus who have relinquished their claim to be in control. We love control. I know it because I hear your confessions. We love control. I love control. Our church in this Christendom mode loves control. Because of that, we've resisted the Spirit's work in our hearts and our lives and in the church for so long because we are so ensconced, stuck in these Christendom structures, Christendom thinking, Christendom strategies. We're so in the habit of saying, oh, we can't do that. We've never done that. We can't try that. We can't get rid of that because, well, we've no, we've always done that. And we've always avoided that. We've always had that. And my gosh, if we did that, we would look weird. You don't want us to look like evangelicals, do you? <laughs> or Pentecostals or other Christians. And honestly, like, I'm exhausted by it. I'm tired of living my priesthood with the oars in the water instead of hoisting the main. And I just, like, want to repent before you today for all the ways in which I've kept the oars in the water and have relied on myself and my thinking instead of on the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm tired of our church turning to God after we've had our meetings to have him ratify and rubber stamp our ideas and our strategies and our plans rather than kneeling before him humbly begging, Lord, come, send your spirit upon us, show us what needs to be done. Like, we all just sang that responsorial hymn, Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. And my question is, do we really want him to send out his spirit? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, I I just wanted to come to Mass this morning and go get some Valley Cafe afterwards. Like, this is like, maybe you're not wanting the Lord to renew your life or your marriage or your family or this parish. But if you are, we have to think different. Do we want him to send out his spirit into this parish? Do we want him to send out his spirit into your marriage, into your parenting, into our school, into our ministries? Like maybe that means Holy Spirit, like just like there's vines and branches, maybe that means Holy Spirit saying there's there's ministries that it's, it's time for them to go. There's things that we're doing that aren't central to our mission. Do we have the courage to let go of things because the spirit wants us to let go of things? Do we have the courage to grab onto things because the spirit's saying, I want you to grab onto that? christendom mode is dead like speaking for myself i'll say like there's some days yeah i'm i'm all for it lord send out your spirit and some days i'm like no i can't handle any new change in my life because if we want the spirit if we want pentecost in our lives that means we're going to give up the right to be in charge to play it safe to live quiet lives of hidden discipleship because when the fire falls as it did on those disciples at pentecost like when the wind fills the sails they weren't in control anymore They were overflowing with joy and they began to publicly witness and their lives were never the same. Like, and if you want to catch the spirit, the wind that's blowing, if you want that wind to fill your sails, this is what we're going to need. This is what your life is going to need. This is what your marriage is going to need. This is what I need. This is what this parish needs. This is what those sails are made of, right? The sail that's capable of catching the breeze of the spirit is a sail made out of humility. First of all, a recognition that my life is not about me or my plans, or my objectives. It's a it's a heart that says, what do you want, Lord? Humility is what catches the wind. The sail is made out of faith, secondly, right? And faith, what is it in Greek? Pistis, which means trust or entrustment. The sail is made out of a willingness. It says, I give every part of me to you, Lord. I hold nothing back. I surrender it all. That posture of total surrender is necessary to catch the wind. And so much of the sail is made out of a willingness to look weird to do weird things and say weird things and step out in boldness and to put yourself in a place where it's like, oh my gosh, people are going to think I'm insane or that we are insane. Y'all, if you're not willing to look weird, I don't know, go home. Because like to be a Christian is to be one filled with the spirit. And the spirit wants, he's going to make us look weird. If you let him, if you hoist the main, he's going to make you do weird things. Just get used to it. Get used to it. The sale is made out of courage which is related to the looking weird part. Because <laughs> the Spirit can only work in hearts that are courageous because, honestly, the Spirit wants to conform us to Jesus. And Jesus is the only per- person in history where there's two reactions when people met him. Either they said, I want to follow you and give you everything, or they said, I want to kill you. If you're going to be conformed to that guy, you got to have courage. And finally, the this, this sale is made out of deep prayer and silence and interiority because the Spirit is a whisperer. And only if we have a habit of silence, we'll be able to hear him whispering. Friends, Jesus said he would send the spirit to convict the world, not accuse the world or condemn the world, but to convict. And I was so convicted this week about all of this. And I just want to beg for your prayers for myself, for Father Joe, for our staff, that we would more and more have the courage to get the oars out of the water that we would hoist the main, and that we would just say, Lord, whatever you want, this is your parish, these are your ministries, we just want to be radically obedient to the Spirit. If we are praying for a new Pentecost, and we are not willing to change, to look weird, to do new things, man, what are we even praying about? I don't know. A new Pentecost is going to be painful. A new Pentecost means things have got to end, and things have got to begin. we got to step out in boldness, be courageous. <sighs> And our blessed mother, she's the one who's going to show us the way. You want to know what the sail looks like? It looks like her. She's it. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, renew the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love, Lord. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen.